0: Heavenly Father, grant that forgiveness may be more than words, that it might be a powerful, a life-giving experience so strong that it enables us, empowers us to forgive others. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So you see the title of the sermon, What is My Life's Purpose? I'm talking about your day-to-day activities. What is the purpose that governs and directs them? Well, you see what the Dalai Lama, the spiritual head of the Buddhists, says. He says, I believe that the purpose of life is to be happy. Let me tell you a story. When I was in Lolo, Montana, just outside of Missoula, a good friend in the congregation was a wildlife photographer, wonderful pictures, and he was down in Florida. And of course, in Florida, everything is wildlife, no. I think he was looking for Panthers. Do they have Panthers in Florida? After he had spent some time taking pictures, he was walking back to his car, and this lady approached him, and she says, God told me I'm supposed to marry you. Well, problem was, he had a wife back in Lolo. But that really got him thinking, not in a good way, and he decided he was going to divorce his wife, who was his business partner and his friend and his companion all those years, so that he could marry this other woman. As a pastor, I tried to talk him out of it. And he said to me, Doesn't God want me to be happy? And I had recently read an article, it was the last thing that C.S. Lewis, the great English apologist, wrote. It appeared in the Saturday Evening Post, and the title of it was, We Have No Right to Be Happy. That's not God's purpose for our life, happiness. I don't care what the Dalai Lama or the Hallmark Moody's tell you, movies. Your purpose in life is not, quote, to be happy. In fact, if you're honest, you realize that those times that kind of where the bottom falls out and things go awry, that those are the times you feel closer to God and your life takes on more purpose. Jesus in our text illustrates what the purpose of life is all about. It is an acted out symbolic event that is telling us what Jesus says twice twice in his private conversations with his disciples, in John 13 through 16. In John 13, 34, he says, this is how people will know you're my disciples, if you love one another. Love one another as I have loved you. And then in John 15, 12, he says, love one another as I have loved you. He is demonstrating with the washing of feet, what it means to love. And you already know this, but in Jesus' day, not even slaves could be ordered to wash feet. It was so degrading, so humiliating. And yet Jesus humbles himself and commits himself to this loving act. Now, of course, there's a deeper meaning. It's not just an action that bespeaks love or being humble in our service of others. The real key is when Jesus interacts with Peter. You're not washing my feet. If I don't wash your feet, you have no part in me. What? Washing feet is symbolic of spiritual cleansing, and I like that little interaction where Peter gets it. And he says, "Oh, not just my feet, my heads, my hands," and Jesus says, "You know, when you have faith in me, you've already have had a bath. It's just the daily walking through stuff." Do any of you hike in the national parks where horses? have preceded you you walk through stuff and it sticks to you in your baptism you've been totally cleansed but you need a remind a reminder when you get those dirty feet trudging through life so jesus says I've given you an example. I've washed your feet, now you guys wash each other's feet. You know, if it's just an example, we're at a dead end. You can't command people to love others especially when it comes to the greatest act of love, namely forgiving others who have hurt you. You can't do that on your own steam. Uh, A book came out on Monday that I was interested in. I immediately went to Kendo and purchased it. And I've gotten through the first chapter. The title of the book is Forgive. Forgive. And he says something in there that really struck me. He said, don't just go through an abstract experience of forgiveness, you know, like we do with the confession and the absolution. He says to really be empowered and transformed and encouraged and enlivened to love and forgive others, You need a deep experience of Christ's love and his forgiveness. And he even goes a step farther. He says, you need the experience of the living Christ dwelling within you and telling you every day that you're a beloved child of God. You have been redeemed. You have been justified. You have been accepted. You have been loved. You have been forgiven. And he goes on to say, if you find it difficult to forgive the slights and the hurts of people, he says you really haven't taken God's forgiveness in Christ seriously. Do you realize how dirty we are? How much our feet stink? Daily, we seek happiness. We seek life. We seek acceptance, not in Christ, but in other people. We seek to make our lives right by reading our Bibles and praying our prayers and attending worship. Do you realize what a stench our lives are? How we are continually turning from trusting Christ and the cross to trusting ourselves and our own abilities, our own doing, our own accomplishing, our own acquiring. Do you realize the stink that goes to heaven when God is watching us? And he sees how we live and how we behave and he wonders, do you really believe in my son? Do you really believe how bad you are? And yet, how much he did and accomplished on the cross. You know, until you realize how sinful you are, you're never going to be able to forgive another person. There's always an element of better than thou If I forgive you, boy, I'm a spiritual giant. Look what I did. I forgave you. Look at you. Look how bad and how terrible that thing that hurt me is. Until you know the depth and the depravity of your sin and how undeserved God's forgiveness is, you will never be able to forgive another person. Until you look at yourself in the mirror and truly see what God sees, you will always feel superior to the person who has hurt you get down there in the mud because that's where you are and look at it, smell your feet, see what you are about and only then, only then can you be gracious, compassionate, and forgiving of others. The great sadness of the Christian church is that when people look at the church, they don't see forgiven sinners. They see people who act as if they're better, superior. You know, I've shared this with you before, but in Philip Yancey's book, about why people don't like church and don't like Christians, He asked a group of people, give me one word, one word that describes Christians judgmental, critical, holier than thou. That's three words, but you got to put a hyphen in there. He said, you know, the only word that they never, these are people outside the church, outside of Christ. He said, the only word that he never heard was love. If we're not known for our love, Jesus says, this is how they will know you're my disciples, that you love one another, that you're gracious, you're kind, you're forgiving, you're considerate. And don't take this as a political statement, but with the election coming up this week, Boy, this country is in a mess, and Christians are right in there with everybody else, being critical, saying cutting things, describing people with words that should never be spoken. No wonder people look at the church and say, Why should I join them? Really? Time for a story. Uh, In Nebraska, there were two ranchers that lived their property connected. And there were no fences, but the one rancher didn't like it that the other rancher's cows would wander into his pasture. So he said, if your cows wander into my pasture anymore, I'm going to shoot them. So the rancher put up a fence to keep his cows in his pasture, but he put it 10 feet back from the property line. And then he said, oh, by the way, if your cows wander into my pasture, I'm going to shoot them. So in Nebraska, as far as the eye can see, there are two fences going down to the horizon. You ready for the really good part? They were both members of the same Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. What do people see when they look at Redeemer? Do they see grace? Do they see compassion? Do they see love? Do they see forgiveness? Or do they see people who are judgmental and critical and throw names around that should never be spoken of other people? I want to talk about the text from Galatians. You sow what you reap. And Paul writes that if in your lives you are sowing to please your human nature, you will reap destruction. But if you are sowing to please the Holy Spirit, you will reap eternal life. Most pastors, most Bible readers think he's talking about if you obey the rules, you're following your human nature. I mean, I'm sorry, if you obey the rules, you're pleasing the spirit. If you don't obey the rules, you're pleasing your human nature. That's not it at all. They haven't read the rest of the book. And you notice I put... In the outline, Galatians 5.18, those who walk by the Spirit are not under the law. Do you understand? Sowing to your human nature is this thought that if I do something, if I follow the rules, if I get this, I acquire that, I accomplish this, then my life will be Right? That's sowing to your human nature. Our fallback position, even as Christians, is always the law. When I got to Mount Olive, they had signs everywhere. uh, Who could use the kitchen? Except for Easter Sunday, the youth group couldn't go in the kitchen. Uh, the one that I thought was the cutest was they would stack the chairs against the wall and it said, don't sit on these chairs. And I thought, well, what? They meant don't sit on the stacked chairs. But I mean, it just sounds stupid, right? Don't sit on these chairs. And one of the first things I did is I took all those signs down. And there was a mighty complaint. How are People are going to know what they're supposed to do if we don't. I said, be a bit gracious. You don't have to herd them like cattle. Tell them about Jesus and what he's done. It changes things. When you sow to please the Spirit, you're not looking at yourself and what you do, which is the law. You're looking at Christ and what he's done. You will never, ever have the desire, the energy, the power, the gumption to forgive someone who's hurt you unless you experience the undeserved forgiveness of Christ. Can you believe it? The first words in the Gospel of Luke that Jesus spoke from the cross were, forgive them these guys who are executing me. Really? You want to forgive those no-goods, those crumbs, those wicked, evil people? When forgiveness takes root, when the Spirit of Christ is alive in us, We do things we never thought possible. Those old hurts, those slights, those different views on politics, we can forgive them. We don't take them to heart and put this person in a box as someone who is evil, someone we hate. I want to conclude with Hosea the Old Testament lesson. Jesus says, you call me teacher, you call me Lord or master. A teacher can tell you what to do, but they can't give you the power to do it. A master can command you and tell you what you have to do, but again, They don't have any power to enable you to do it. God says, I am your husband, I'm your marriage partner. There's no more intimate or powerful love in human experience. And Jesus wants us to see him as the bridegroom. And in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says these amazing words. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Really? That's where the power to love comes from? That Christ gave himself up to the cross to torture? To a horrific death? To being forsaken by his Father? That's the source of true love? Sacrificial love? Love that sometimes is humiliating? Jesus isn't just a teacher or a master. He's our bridegroom. To Think about that. That intimate, personal relationship he wants to have with you so that he lives within you, so that he encourages you, so that he excites you, so that he empowers you to love others every day, even to the extent of forgiving them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, so infect us, influence us with the love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ that we are enabled, empowered, excited, enlivened to love others, especially to forgive those who have hurt us.